It's the TX Water Polo Podcast. It's the 51st, actually. Last week was the 50th. I'm James. He's Joe. I'm in Austin. And you are where? I'm in North Texas. Still. All right. So we can't keep up. Oh, but you're going back down tomorrow, right? I was actually in San Antonio this past weekend, and I'm going back down to San Antonio tomorrow. Yeah. More moving. What a delight. Yeah. How much fun is that? Oh, it's it's almost over. Can you believe 50, though? Like, I'm seriously, that caught up quite quickly. Yeah, it was quick. I mean, so yeah. it, I mean, there's a thousand things to talk about. And I mean, I, I know we only cover a small little portion of kind of all the various things to talk about. But, you know, it's yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So you're uh, you're more optimistic than me about the content, about how much there is, especially when things are so slow right now. I mean, there's still lots to talk about. We're going to do that talk about underselling our own show. But, you know, that's the that's the case. Um I also, it's important to me that we reach 52 because then if you've noticed, those of you who, uh, you know, download this on uh, Apple in particular, like it says, show 50 season one, and I'll finally get to change it to season two. Isn't it just the small things in life that make you happy? It's, uh, it is the little things. So. Exceedingly small things. Yeah. Um, we wanted to talk about a few things, including Best of Texas today and uh, a little bit about the diversity um, conversations that were that took place last week and a little bit of COVID. And then we have an interview coming later. But first, uh, um, I have inside sources at the ODP Southwest Zone staff. And by inside sources, I mean me because I'm the head coach. So um, we made some changes with the coach, coaching staff. So I don't even know if you know this, Joe. So I'm going to announce it to you. Um there are only a couple of new additions to the the staff, which I'm actually really pleased by, which uh, one of whom is Caitlin Kelly, who's going to be assisting our friend Spencer Dornan with the boys youth team. And uh, and we can describe exactly what that means again, because it m- might be a little confusing why we need assistance. And then uh, I was super happy that uh, my colleague Chris Cullen hired Jonathan Landero to help him with the development girls. So really cool stuff. I'm I'm really pleased with these new additions. And then yeah, Those and, were, and John yeah. is going to be the first coach from the Rio Grande Valley to be on that staff, which is going to be incredible. And I think it's going to be great for Jonathan. It's going to be great for PSGA. It's going to be great for the whole Rio Grande Valley. I don't think he would mind if I said that uh, he told me he was excited. So I'm I'm excited for him, too. Really good. Um, and Caitlin Kelly is a tremendous coach. Tremendous. So, and, I mean, this is um, – it's going to be an invaluable piece to that, uh, like, like the boys – side of things so yeah and i and 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 i think that she although she coaches girls primarily at her work um i don't think it matters at times as far as boys girls and such i I think she's going to bring a different dynamic kind of to the pool deck and it's only going to help that coaching staff so completely she and i had a little bit of a talk about i i think there are differences between the boys and girls more than you do i think i think that's fair to say um, and so we had some conversations about how she's dealt with boys in the past as a, you know, versus girls. And it's a endlessly fascinating conversation. I'm serious. Like, I love that stuff about how to deal with different personality types, different everything. So, she, yeah, she's going to be a super um, important addition to that. The philosophy I have, at least, um, and you were my predecessor, so you may have had a different philosophy. For, but for youth, I hired Spencer Dornan in the first place because I wanted these – Texas kids to have um, somebody who could basically show them that they can go play somewhere in college. And the reason I say that is when I first started coming to Texas in the early um, decade, I would talk to these players who played for, you know, A&M or for UT or, or, or teams like that. And they were pretty darn good. 
And I'd say, did you ever think about playing, you know, somewhere else in California? And they're like, oh, no, I want to stay close to home. And I don't think I can make it, you know, those kinds of things. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. So having somebody like Spencer who has experience not only collegiately, I mean, he's an All-American and then on the national team, and then Caitlin as well. Like she was an excellent player in college. She knows what it's looking, what it looks like. Oh. That to me is important. Oh, no, I think that's uh, 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 tremendously important. And. You know, there's kids that, I mean, kids have to want to go play somewhere. That's the first thing, you know, I mean, it's a, a coach trying to convince them to go play. Um, that sometimes doesn't work because then they'll go out for a year and then they'll come back eventually. Right. I mean, it's like the kid has to want to do it, not the parents and not the coach. So um, there's been a ton of kids that have played out in NCAA water pole kind of, kind of from Texas over the years. But I think it's great to have those people like kind of as those youth coaches and this, and the same thing on the girl side as uh, uh, Sabrina Carla played four years at Whittier and right. is from Texas. Yep, exactly. So, and was a good player here in Texas, a great player out there at Whittier. So I just wanted to make sure that especially the boys, cause that's who I was talking to, not because I didn't want this to, to apply to the girls as well, but the, so the boys who are basically sort of, um, you know, discouraged from going elsewhere because they think they couldn't do it, you know, that's who I really wanted to get to because, yes, of course, you have to want to go. If you don't want to go anywhere, then there's nothing to be said. That's fine. You can choose what you want to do. But so anyway, very pleased with those. That's the good news from the ODP side. The bad news is that uh, the cancellations continue. Uh, USA Water Polo announced earlier this week that the girls all-stars, the girls age group zone uh, national championships are canceled altogether. And then all NTSE national team selection camps are finished for the remainder of the 2019-2020 season. I think it's fair to say that none of that is terribly surprising, but it's still a, a huge disappointment. Yeah, I think that's just, you know, waiting for the other uh, other shoe to drop. That's what yeah. we've been waiting for. And so what are the plans kind of for those girls now? Kind of right. So nationally, what the USA Water Polo is looking for, the ODP organization, is to put together something. And, and this is dependent on the region. Like the region is allowed to do or the zone rather is is allowed to do whatever they want to put together a training camp for a weekend or a, some kind of competition over the weekend so that all of the girls can show up in their uniforms and and everything and uh, and basically just, you know, have a bit of uh, an, an ending to the season, you know. So yeah. that remains to be seen what actually happens. I ha I have some ideas and Chris Cullen and I have been talking about them, but it's going to be they the idea is to do this prior to school beginning and that might be tough. So we'll you and I need to talk about that off the air. But yeah, that's that's what we're trying to do is to is to give them something to finish the season. Yeah, and I mean and that'd be great for those kids to have that like kind of have that thing to kind of finish the season. Oh, what about the boys for the national team selection camp? Yeah, no, no idea about that. Well, I mean, it's canceled, but uh, I don't have any other information on that. There was a huge email that was sent out to all the athletes, so I just have the text of that. Um, but yeah, the boys, it, I mean, I can even read the statement. It says, uh, we had remained hopeful, but it has become apparent that it's not feasible to host for the, the, the uh, boys NTSC. So uh, anyway, you can find that on the website or on the um, ODP Southwest Zone website, which is odpswz.wordpress.com so go check that out um what else best of texas oh yeah part two <laughs> we're finally at the end of it 
Yeah, we, uh, uh, as I said, I dropped the ball last week. I, I had the uh, polling closed, but it's now, a, um, we got a huge response, Joe. Like it was pretty Great. good. Like, a, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so who are the, the winners? The, revol- the results are convincing. I And now I'm going to have to ask you to, to guess. You haven't looked at them, right? No, I've not. Okay, so girls program championship. That is uh, Baytown Sterling High School versus Clark High School. What's your I would, guess? I would guess Baytown Sterling. By how much? A significant margin. Come on, give me a number. 80-20? 70% to 30%. So yes, right. or 71 to, to 29 really. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, again, I think you would say that's not a surprise. Um, and I'm not surprised. I think they are by far the best program that has been around. So, well, um, Joe finally um, shares his own opinion. Very good. All on right. the girl side, I don't. I don't think I've been shy about saying that they were the best program. So. <laughs> no. Um, on the boys' side, Clear Lake High School versus St. Mark's School of Texas. Uh, what's the result? What do you think? Probably Clear Lake High School. You think Clear Lake over St. Mark's? Yes. Do you want to know the results? Sure. St. Mark's. 90% to 10. Serious? Seriously. Awesome. Good for St. Mark's. That's awesome. St. Mark's. 90% to 10. Yeah. So so so, so it's been St. Mark's on the boys' side and Baytown Sterling on the girls' side? Yes. Yeah, we're that done. Great. Congratulations to St. Mark's. Obviously, they've had a lot of success these last they had these last few years. And um uh, was it plus they had a couple championships back in the 70s? So obviously, the, like, you know, kind of kind of their, their program has showed over the years that they have been successful in yeah, in and successful in Bon Voyage to, to Mihaio Preya, who's yes. going back to, to Romania this month. So. Yes. You know what they all, what else they had was a very robust uh twitter uh campaign so they were very effective at getting the vote out as they say so and and the results speak for themselves so yes congratulations to both of those teams and that and um oh boy what are what are we going to do next joe like we've been doing polling for like 10 weeks or something like that it's like i don't i'm i'm out of ideas it's okay we have lots to talk about all right we'll Always come back good. well <laughs> We'll come back. We'll talk a, a little bit about uh, diversity, COVID, and uh, an uh, interview with Mike Schofield. All of TX Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can keep covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hi, this is Brenda Villa, four-time Olympic medalist. And whenever I want to hear about Texas water polo, I tune in to the TX Water Polo Podcast. Last week, we covered a lot of territory, actually, and much of it was uh, was focused on diversity. So um, you, I was going to say hosted, but you really mod- or, or, I don't know, opened up a town hall uh, to discuss the issue and how did that go? I thought it went great. Um, we, I've had a ton of, of, of positive feedback. Um, yes, I was on there, but it was only because they used my account to do the meeting. <laughs> um, and uh, I presented, uh, I just introduced it at the beginning. I talked a little bit at the end, but I listened. And this is an important time for like, you know, like, like, you know, kind of uh, Caucasian 
kind of to listen and learn. And I've done a lot of listening over the last uh, week or so. Um, earlier today, I was on uh, another diversity call, um, and it's and it's and it's very kind of interesting to hear the different aspects of it. You know, um, you know, like 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 the whole financial piece, right? So, well, okay, well, we have scholarships to support the minorities. Well, why do you have scholarships? For the people of color, well, you know what? No, it's like you just need to have a scholarship for anybody that needs it, not just the yeah. people of color. Yeah. So it's like it's 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 different little things like that that you know, like the microaggressions that you didn't know that you did, and like it's just it's it's not that it's not that I'm second guessing myself. I'm just learning so I can do a better job next time. Yeah. And I think that's important for all of us to do. So. Well. Yeah. Regardless I, of color. So. Yeah, I appreciated really hearing people's stories. Yeah. Because because, um, yeah, it's a rough subject. Um, and um, I, I my instincts are against the kinds of uh, things that basically state this is what you must do. Rub me the wrong way. But it doesn't mean that getting on that conference and listening to the experiences that people had wasn't super educational. It really was. And uh, because, the, you know, these are people that I've known, but they don't exactly show up on the pool deck and, you know, start talking about, hey, this happened to me. It doesn't that, that just doesn't go on. So I was fascinated by that. Really interested to hear that. So, yeah, no, I thought I mean, that went pretty well, too. And 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 it's important to have these discussions. And that was the first of hopefully many discussions. And right. uh, we're going to try to do another town hall kind of roundtable in July. We're still working on the date. Um, that is going to be a diversity talk part two, right? Um, and kind of come at it from a different angle. Um, and, you know, a lot of people on the call last week were asking, so how can I do and kind of what can I do? Again, this is we're just having the discussions. Now. We're, I mean, a, a lot of people are, are they don't even know if they can get in the water right now. Right. So um, any idea? are good ideas right now so please let me know or email pod at uh, txwaterpool.com we are more than happy to share the different ideas um it's you know if you want to get involved please please let us know and we just want to create a group of people and then the, the, yeah kind of together just kind of put together a plan and then act and then act on that plan so one thing I was thinking of is that this, uh, since our sport and probably swimming at some point, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I work on a swim team, so are out in front of many, if not most, if not all other sports um, with regard to going back to practice. And so this is a really good opportunity, even though it's a bizarre time and practices are strange and so on, to go do the outreach that you and I talked about before. Now, as you well know, I'm not very good at that. Like I, I, I depend on you and other people to sort of guide me with that. But uh, but this is the time to do that or it is a good yeah. time. It's not the time. It's a good and, time. And it's a good time to. Um, yeah. And it takes time. And that's the key yeah. thing. It takes time. It takes lots of phone calls. You have to you have to find out the person who is going to be able to give you structure for a program, you know, and then you have to talk to the people that are that that might be able to help you with some funds, either paying or kind of paying for the pool time or giving you kind of the free pool time. These are, and, and I'm talking about, you know, the municipalities or the YMCA's or the boys and girls clubs or the JCC's out there. And, uh, and these are the type of things that, you know, this is, this is, this is, a, this falls under my job title. 
and this is something that I've been doing and I will continue to do. Um, but it's also like, you know, the lo- like the local clubs, yeah. you know, I mean, I can do it and I can put people together, but I can't actually run it. it makes, yeah. Does it make sense? Cause yeah, that would right. get overwhelming after, you know, mm-hmm. a- after you get one or two programs. So, you know, it's, it's kind of similar to what we did a couple of years ago with, we had the YMCA start in Austin and then kind of partner them up with the local clubs. So after those kids kind of finish their splash ball programs, they have a place to go play. Right. And, and it's, and it takes a lot of phone calls and talking and it's not just to get it going, but after it starts to keep it going yeah. and to keep that and to, and to keep that pipeline going. So um, this is going to be a long-term project with hopefully some short-term successes along the way. So, Yeah. Um, sort of dovetails with my conversation with Brenda Villa because we did talk about, you know, utilizing certain models or at least as we as I sort of talked about was themes that can you can sort of airdrop into different areas. So, for example, she visited uh, the Rio Grande Valley a couple of years ago and um, and she was very good about saying, you know, this is a different area you know so it's not as though you can just take the model that commerce used which by the way i said i learned so much about the way that they actually grew that program back in the 60s 60s and 70s which you know things that i didn't know um and so but that model is not necessarily replicable especially because they received so much funding from uh, the tax base um but you know down in rio grande valley they have a community you know and that Mm -hmm. actually might be the most important thing is just is just People know one another, and, and just and just getting people all on this on the same page and moving in the right in uh, in the same direction, yeah. as opposed to against each other. Yeah. And and that's in our in our water pool world. And that's and if you want to get to a big old macro level, we we are very passionate. That's our blessing and our curse, right? So um, we are very passionate about it. And a lot of times we argue and we fight. No, this is. This is like the, the diversity question is is, the, is probably kind of something that is so very important. It's not just for the long term survival of our sport, but it's also to get as many people playing as possible in yeah, and and opportunities to these kids. It's, and it's and it's not just to learn water polo. It's also to learn a life saving skill of swimming. Yeah. You know, and that's right. Um, and 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 these are the these are the type of things that, you know, that we as a water polo kind of community can bring to, to, to kind of different people that, you know, that may not have access as of right now. So, right. Okay. That's this, like you said, this is the beginning of the conversation. So we'll look forward to having more of them down the road. Um, another, uh, just small issue, this COVID thing. Yeah. Hmm. Um, right. So there are some dates that have changed now or, or what, Fill me in on what's going on with schools and such with COVID. Well, well back in June, the school started kind of opening up and doing local camps, and each and each school district kind of did their own things as far as how they interpreted those rules from the TEA and the and the UIL. Um, uh, and a lot of schools, a lot of school districts were going to start opening up to renters on July 6th, which was which was uh, this week. Yeah. And. Uh, and last week, the UIL kind of came back kind of with a suggestion and recommendation to the like the school districts that everybody kind of kind of suspend their camps and their rental groups until July 13th. Hmm. And um, and so, you know, I know like, you know, kind of thunder in North Texas. I think Viper Pitch is down in Houston. 
I know Mavericks in North Texas, they were planning on going back and, yeah. like, and like and practicing on on July 6th. And now the hope is to get in the water this upcoming Monday, kind of kind of July 13th. But it's still to be determined because as as everybody knows, the cases are surging out there. Yeah. And um, and it's just how are our local health professionals and the people that are making these decisions going to decide on these things. Right. But then, of course. The club then has the, the the local club and coaches and parents and athletes. Then they have to they have to decide how are they going to go back if they're going to go back. Yeah, it depends. That's right. Exactly. And I think and there's been some sort of reverse movement movement as well. I think people are practicing less when and they had already started. I mean, I seem to remember us talking about that last week. So yeah, yeah we're, it's. The end is not in sight, man. <laughs> is it? No, I mean, no. yeah, it's just, I mean, again, we made these announcements today about ODP coaches, which I'm super happy about. Um, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm worried. So we'll we'll see how this all plays out. I just, I'm just going to preach patience yet yeah, everyone. Yeah. Water polo, it's going to come back. It's going to come back uh, kind of the like, you know, kind of full throttle at some point. Yeah. Don't know yeah. when that's going to be. It will be back. It will be back. And uh, was it just please be patient with us, kind of with your local school districts, um, because the last thing we need are, you know, are angry people out there kind of demanding to be in the water or demanding tournaments and yeah, and, yeah, and such like that. That's not going to help our cause of growth and such. So. No, not, people are just simply not going to agree to do that either, because, yeah. I mean, that's the issue is like you can the. No matter the number of regulations that come down, let's say from the government, there's a lot of more. You know, people are just going to make these choices on their own. I was like, I'm not sending my kid to, you know, some tournament like that. So anyway, it's speculation. But um, all right, you also had a conversation with uh, Mike Schofield. Guess how many wins Mike Schofield had as the head coach of the Naval Academy? 776. 630. That's at least according to Swimming World. So who knows? Maybe that maybe that's uh, outdated. Is your number right? Like, did you know that? No, I just guessed. Oh, okay, cool. I was gonna say, you know, go to Wikipedia and update it. But yeah, um, Schofield. You and I both have met him or know him. Um, he uh, had a you know obviously a terribly successful career as the head coach at Navy. Um, For Thirty-five well, years. Yeah, years. huge. And one one of the reasons I think you wanted to talk to him was that he has. A connection with Texas, which is that, you know, a lot of Texas athletes went to the Naval Academy and had success. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've known Mike for years. He was a mentor for me back kind of when I was a young pup coach. Right. Um, I was a 23 year old coach kind of coaching at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy for uh, five seasons. And he was the guy that had been around the block for 20 years. And uh, was it um, I was very grateful that he allowed me to ask a thousand questions. Um, I've kept in touch with him of kind of kind of throughout the years, and he has consistently recruited Texas athletes, and he has had some some a lot of success with a lot of uh, like a lot of Texas athletes. So that's what we discussed was like you know obviously a little bit about Mike, but a lot about the Texas kids that went there and yeah and oh were success. So what see I don't the names don't come to the tip of my tongue just name one or two Jared Castillo was there I know that uh, Jared Jared Castillo was at the tail end I don't think Mike ever coached Jared he recruited oh, that's right, Jared. That's right. Yeah, and then there's uh Brendan Metcalf and Robert Sutherland uh there's Stevie Ray I'm going backwards right now um mm-hmm. there's a, a kind of a Jordan Gentry and Aaron Reco Aaron Reco was probably kind of one of the top five players ever in the history of uh of the Naval Academy and he was from San Antonio 
So, right. um, and and then a little bit older, you have Tim Tackle, you have a kind of a, you know, kind of Josh Bell and Scott Bell. Um, so there's a ton of kids out there, and uh, not kids anymore, but the kids that went and played there and were highly successful. And Mike was a hard coach. Yes. And uh, uh and um, but I've talked to a lot of those guys, and they are like, yes. I didn't like them at the time, but I, but I understand them now and they will preach, uh, kind of the Mike Schofield book of water polo. So, um, John Feinstein wrote a book on the army Navy rivalry, the, you know, football rivalry like years ago. Civil war. Yeah. Civil war. And, um, and what I didn't know was that, I don't know why this is, this always uh, sticks out to me, but, um, you know, these guys are working incredibly hard. So then you're on a sports team and you're working even harder. And the academy in classes, apparently, like what you would have to do if you're falling asleep is stand up. So you'd have people standing up in class taking notes just so they could stay awake. It's pretty impressive. Well, I mean, I mean, I coached at a similar place four or five seasons. And I used to tell people the hardest part of a day for a kid that's playing football at Texas A&M is their football practice. Yeah. The easiest part of the day for uh, for for somebody that's playing football at Army or Navy or Air Force is the football, football practice. practice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's and and a super beautiful campus, by the way, as well. So um, anyway, we'll, we'll we're going to come back with that conversation and then we'll come and wrap things up after that. Hey, this is Mark Lawrence from Austin College, head coach of the men's and women's water programs and home of our kangaroos. When I'm interested in uh, what's going on with Texas water I always listen to TX Water Podcast. Yeah, today we are joined by legendary coach Mike Schofield from the Naval Academy. He was at, <laughs> he was at the Naval Academy from 1982 2015 and he stopped coaching in, uh, in 2013 so he was the head coach there for 30 plus years he's been involved with usa water pole the cwpa the ncaa he's also a usa water pole kind of kind of hall of fame member and a cwpa um hall of fame member he was also a like a, a mentor to me as i was a young pup coach on the east coast mike how are you doing great joe top of the morning to you Top of the morning. So, how have how like how are you and your family with all the COVID stuff going on? Have you got out much since March? Uh, not as much as we'd like, which is probably what's been advised. Um, we're doing fine. We have you know everybody's healthy and just trying to try not to get too much fatter and too much older. Uh, but there's there's enough to do around the house and things have opened up a little bit in Maryland. So we got no complaints. And yeah, so you still referee kind of on these coasts and such. So when was the last time you were on the pool deck? Uh, I was actually in Florida refereeing with uh, Mike Naughton and Ted Bresnahan, the former Johns Hopkins coach. Yeah. And Ted, Ted and Mike both live in Florida. And I've been refereeing in the winter down there the last few years. So my last game was March 12th with Coach Bresnahan. There you go. That is an interesting combination right there. Yep. yep. Uh, and, for, and for those that don't know, Ted, yeah, just Ted Bresnan used to coach at Johns Hopkins. And Mike obviously coached at the Naval Academy. And uh, 
was that they're just right down the street and they were a bit of rivals there for a few years or more than a few years. So here, just yeah. tell us a, a little bit of background on yourself, kind of where you played and, uh, and, and also specifically a little bit of the history of the Naval Academy water polo program. Okay. Um, I started playing in college, actually. I'd never really even touched a water polo ball till the summer after my freshman year in college. I was lifeguarding at the pool at the University of Pittsburgh. They had just gotten permission to start a varsity program uh, in the fall of 1975. And there was a grad student from Puerto Rico by the name of Miguel Rivera. And he was also lifeguarding and he was going to be the coach that fall. Uh, built some goals. I helped him put them in the water after he got done making them. And he shot a few balls at me. I shot a few balls at him. And he actually played at San Jose State with Bruce Watson, who's the coach at San Jose State now. And Miguel encouraged me to come out for the team in the fall, which I did, and played for the next four years. And if, if anybody's interested, um, Michael Randazzo has done a bunch of probably five or six different articles for Swimming World magazine yep. and Total Water Polo. He's got, he took a deep dive into the history of water polo in Pittsburgh earlier this summer or earlier that. this spring. So I, I played four years at Pitt. And I, I got a degree in physical education and started coaching and teaching around Pittsburgh. So I, 1979 to 82, I was coaching a club swim team, coaching water polo and teaching. And um, I got offered a position at the Naval Academy after refereeing down there one spring and uh, turned, it, turned it down about four times before Coach Lawrence, the aquatic director, finally caught me on a weak moment and talked me into taking the job. Uh, so was the program already established or did you establish the water polo program? There? Actually, if you want to go really far back, uh, even before I was born, which is long enough. Uh, water polo at the Naval Academy was a big deal in the 30s. And they won some, there was no CWPA, there was no NCAA water polo championship. There was a national collegiate championship. And there are some plaques uh, that we preserved and have uh, displayed at Lejeune Hall that Navy was a national champion in water polo back in the 30s. And the coach was a gentleman by the name of Foster. And unfortunately, there was a, an incident where a midshipman lost an eye in a game. Uh, as those who go back that far would know, water polo back then was kind of like hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat. And people would literally be resuscitated in the midst of a game because they'd been underwater too long. and like I said, a midshipman lost an eye, so they discontinued the sport. It came back as a club sport, I think, in the 60s, 70s, uh, early 80s. So they had had a pretty decent club program, but built this brand-new facility. Some of the parents of the club kids prevailed upon the athletic director to start a varsity team, which began in the fall of 82. That's a long answer to your question. <laughs> no, but, I mean, so, I mean, you started in – 1982 and you coached to 2013 and I mean you must have some pretty good stories just about, I mean just I mean for those that don't know I mean uh, Navy was a power on the East Coast for years and years and years every year they were uh, 
kind of vying for the Eastern Championship. But I'm yeah. But tell us a little bit about the early days there. Well, like, get it going. The recruiting. I mean, obviously, you didn't start off just I'm going to go win the NCAA championship. But well, I didn't start off that way, and I didn't finish that way either. We never did win. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. The best we got championship. The best we did was third at the NCAA's with with a really good team. Uh, not coincidentally, with a couple of really good players from Texas on that team, which yeah. I, I'm we'll sure we we'll get into. Here, and we're going to talk about that here in a in a, in a couple minutes. So. Yeah, the the first couple of years were great because uh, there were the, my first year there were guys on the team that were less than two years younger than me. I was 25, and we had a couple 22, 23 year olds on the team. So that was that was how it started. By the time I got done, I was older than the players on the team's parents. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> so over time that evolves into being old and the kids being much younger, but it was, it was great. We, the, I, I'll never forget the first practice that, that I was at. It was Labor Day weekend in the fall in September of 1982. And I, I actually had to go to boot camp in order to get this coaching job. So <laughs> I had to enlist in the Navy, went to Great Lakes, Illinois, uh, got beat up a little bit by all the, drill and drill instructors and spent seven weeks there. And so I show up Labor Day weekend, walk out onto the pool deck for the first workout. And there's 65 guys sitting there waiting to try out for the water polo team. So I knew that right away that numbers wasn't going to be a problem. I just had to find the ones that could play and, uh, you know, find a way to tell the ones that couldn't that they should maybe find another sport. But, uh, 65 guys for your first practice. That's a good way to start. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and he's being a bit humble here. He is a legendary coach. He's He was probably the best coach in the history of East Coast water polo. Um, I mean, he was a mentor to me. He's been a mentor to coaches all around the country. Um, I asked him ad nauseum. I was a coach that was that young coach. Uh, like in college, I was 23 years old whenever I got my first NCAA coaching job. And Mike – kind of put up with all my questions. So, and, um, and over the years, you just kind of mentioned it. You've had a lot of success with, yeah, kind of with some Texas kids. So, I mean, this was kind of from the beginning. So you had Texas kids from the eighties, nineties and two thousands and beyond. So yep. I mean, is there, is there something that you looked for in Texas kids or was there some trait that they all kind of shared? Um, they were all great kids. Um, they all put up with me, obviously, so they, they were willing to, you know, put up with some grief. Uh, but even, you know, the, from, the, from the beginning, uh, they generally all had a really good swimming background, so they knew how to work hard. They didn't mind training. And, you know, when you're from a sport outside of – or from a, a state outside of California, you kind of have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, and you want to show that you can – compete with kids that have been playing a little bit longer than you and maybe training a, at a little higher level. So it was great. I mean, in the, in the 80s, and I apologize in advance if I miss anybody, <laughs> uh, Derek, Derek Wrighton was one of our first guys. Uh, his sister Brenda was a national team player uh, for quite a few years. Uh, Scott Bell, Josh Bell, two brothers. Uh, Josh ended up being our our team captain his senior year 
And if you ever do a podcast with Josh, he can tell you what a terrible recruiting job I did for him. But okay. he was a captain as a senior and is now uh, uh, a Navy doctor uh, doing great things. George Latour. Um, I remember George introduced me to some whiskey called uh, George Dickel whiskey. Don't <laughs> ask me why I remember that. But And then uh, Tim Tackle whose sister married Todd Carlson, who was another one of our team captains. There you go. Tim, Tim actually ended up being a Navy SEAL, uh, as did his brother-in-law, Todd. But, like, so, like, a lot of those, like, like uh, Derek, Scott, and Josh were, yeah, kind of kind of were from San Antonio. And yep. then, then uh, George and Tim were from Houston. So, so that kind of, like, back in the 80s, it was the San Antonio kind of dominated, te- yeah, just the Texas. And then the Houston teams kind of started coming up in the late 80s. And, yeah. and, and I just remember anything having to do with Texas water polo originated with one of the Yates brothers, and there's about 100 of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jim Yates, the one down in Texas. Jim yeah. Yates, the one down in Texas. Yeah. And he was a real good guy, and I, I actually played against him. I don't know if he's – He's retired, probably long retired now, but I no, no, no. Jim, okay, a funny story about Jim Yates, and for all those from Texas here, um, after I graduated from college and right before I went to the Merch Marine Academy, um, I moved back to Houston and or to San Antonio and worked there for a year. And Jim Yates was out of the sport for about seven years, and I just saw him at a local pool because I went there to go swim and, and I said, Hey Jim, I just started the San Antonio water polo club back up. And he goes, Oh, okay. I'll come out. And then he came out. This is like, you know, kind of, we didn't have the flags. He was all confused. He didn't know kind of what was going on. A month later, I got the job at the merchant Marine Academy and left. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and I said, Jim, it's, yeah, it's uh, your club now. And it's been going ever since the late nineties. <clears throat> And, yeah, and he's still playing. I think he's about, he's probably in his late sixties and he's still playing in every year or every, uh, he, he, like he goes to masters nationals and that in world masters. And he's probably the most in shape person in the pool. Yeah. No, he's, he was a legitimate athlete. Yeah. Um, and still is. Hey, no. go back to the merchant Marine Academy and you can tell me and your audience, uh, how many teams have beaten the likes of the United States Air Force Academy that that were represented in the Merchant Marine Academy before and after you were there? Uh, none. Okay, except for the water polo team when you were there. Yes, so we were the only team sport in the history of the Merchant Marine Academy to beat the Air Force Academy in a team sport ever. Yes, uh, that, 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 that was my last year. That is my one claim to fame at, at, at the Marine Academy. So. And I believe I was there, and I believe it was not a fluke. Yes, and we won by, by about three or four goals. So it wasn't like a last-second thing or something like that, yes. Yep. Uh, that, was two, that, that was the fall of 2002. That was the fall before I moved to Houston. So There you go. That was, that okay. was quite an accomplishment. Back to some of the players. Back to where we are. Yeah. So, um now, as far as, you know, like any good stories from like Scott or Josh, kind of why they were there or like, or Derek or George. Yeah. Besides the, like the whiskey stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we recruited all those guys. Uh, I actually met Tim tackle when he came to our camp while he was in high school and he was really, really 
caught the trot on coming to the Naval Academy and I, I took a liking to him. He was a hardworking guy and he ended up going to, I want to say the Hill School up in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, where they have a, a foundation program at the Naval Academy where you can go to a, like a 13th grade for a year and, and maybe get your academics a little more further along and take some more chemistry and some math. So he did a year at prep school and then came in and, and, and started as a plebe. So I, just, I remember him meeting him at camp. Uh, the other guys, I think we, we recruited out of high school and probably Yates was the guy that turned me on to all of them. Yeah. And just to let, I mean, I don't know if the camps, obviously the camp's not going on this year, but I think the Navy camps have, have continued throughout the years. And um, Mike was very generous with like, he, he accepted kids from everywhere. Um, and coaches, if you wanted to coach and then you wanted to help out and learn every opportunity in the world to go there. And I mean, and I thank you for, for letting me be on the pool deck and being part of those early on up there too. But um, now let's get into the 2000s kind of a little bit. So we got, you know, we have Aaron Recco and, yeah, and Jordan Gentry and Tyler Hill and uh, Mark Malik and Stevie Ray. So thoughts Joe, on yeah, – I'm sorry, Joe. Somehow I lost you there for a couple minutes. But. All right, so now in, in, into the 2000s, we had a little technical difficulty there. Um, we had Aaron – you have Aaron Recco and – kind of Jordan Gentry and Tyler Hill and Mark Malik and Stevie Ray. Again, we apologize if we're leaving anybody out. I'm sure there's a couple of guys that came there. They, and they, and they may not have been um, like kind of lasted all, all four years, but those are like the highlights from like the Texas kids. Yep. Yep. And I and think was probably the best one of the bunch, right? Yes. All you have to do is ask him and he will <laughs> for you. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was, uh, probably one of the top three or four players that's ever played here from any state. Um, I think there's only been two or three players in the history of the CWPA who were the MVP at Eastern's twice. And Aaron was the MVP his junior and senior year at Eastern's and legitimately. So he was, he was a talented player. And then like him and Jordan Gentry came, yeah, came from San Antonio. Where yep. water polo wasn't the biggest sport in the world at that point, right. but they were just good athletes and good swimmers. And let's just say they weren't probably dominant their first year or two, but they became dominant after that. Correct? Yes. Yes. Jordan was ended up as our team captain, uh, and I want to say as a jet pilot. Uh, I think he's still involved, still active, but he could do it all: play defense, drive, shoot, counter. Uh, he was a really, really good player. Uh, defensively, uh, Tyler Hill and Modic Malik did some things that we really needed, and not not too many people could do them as well as those two guys. Uh, and Stevie Ray was just a man child. <laughs> I, I laugh because I've talked to Stevie a, a, a little bit. Stevie's still involved a, a little bit at, at at the pool too, right? Well, he just moved up to Newport, Rhode Island. Okay. Uh, in the winter, I think in December, he detached, and he is in uh, school up in Newport. Uh, and then he's going to report to the Michael Murphy in uh, in Hawaii, uh, maybe this fall, I believe. That's not a bad assignment. No, no, he's he's one of my favorite people. Uh, Stevie and I did not hit it off 
a hundred times out of a hundred, but <laughs> as his dad so famously told me one time, Stevie doesn't care if you're screaming at him or telling him how great he is. He just wants you to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I actually coached his older brother at the Merch Marine Academy, uh, Justin Rep. Uh-huh. So, and so Justin was definitely not the same size as Stevie, but, but you got Stevie. Uh, for those that don't know, Stevie played at Baytown Sterling. Um, he was part of that 2007 uh, Baytown team that was voted the best team in Texas history back in April. And uh, I mean, he grew into like, he was a short little pudgy kid, his freshman, sophomore year of high school. Then he just grew like three feet or something and in both directions. And he just, and he came to you and he was like a raw piece of just athlete. And you just kind of shaped him into something. And I know you probably had to keep, like you probably had to help him stay the course a little bit. So yeah, but he was, he was a lot of fun and uh, I've enjoyed being around him ever since. Yeah, so he's uh, he always has a smile kind of kind of on his face, but he's but he was he was a lot of fun for me to coach. So I can't imagine at the Naval Academy. So there you go. Yeah. He's one of those people that even if you're mad at him, you can't stay mad. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure you he can't stay mad either. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you went through that little cycle a few times. So <laughs> absolutely, each practice probably. <laughs> yep. And then, yep. I mean, and then, um, and then in the 2010s, you had kind of a hand in a few Texas kind of athletes kind of coming through the system. You had Robert Sutherland and you had Brendan Metcalf and you had Jared Castillo. Uh, Francis Kim was also there at, at yep. the tail end kind of a little bit. So kind of, kind of tell us about those guys. Well, Robert was the one that I coached the, the most because I think, I think I stopped coaching when he was a sophomore and he was just a big, strong, center center defender who had ridiculously strong legs and did a did a great job for us brendan was a freshman when i stopped coaching was ended up playing a ton for Milan when he took over and uh did a really good job uh jared i knew of because you had kind of turned me on to him as a recruit um but he came in the year after i, I finished coaching uh as did uh, francis the goaltender yeah. And ironically, Jared is uh, has been engaged to Louis Nicolau's daughter, Madison, for quite some time. The wedding was supposed to happen in April, but because of the Defense Department travel restrictions and the whole virus thing, um, they, they're still on their learner's permit. And I'm not sure if the, you know, the wedding's going to happen. We're just not sure when. And for those that don't know, Louis Nicolau is the current head coach at the Naval Academy. Yes, and yes. uh, and uh, for, and a uh, and a former player there back in the eighties and nineties. Yes, and as as Kelly Nicolau, Louis's wife, uh, you know the whole like mother, like daughter thing. <laughs> Kelly married a Hispanic, slightly uh, slightly chubby, maybe <laughs> water polo player. So Madison held out until she found one as well. Uh, <laughs> Slightly taller, though. Slightly taller. So there you go. Well, that Louie's not going to want to hear that. <laughs> but it's true. It's, it's yeah, true. but it's how big you play in the water, right? And, right. and, and uh, was they both it, played very well. But I mean, it was. I mean, I mean, I know as a club coach here, I would send kids to you as much as I possibly could, and they all seem to have a great experience. I mean, it was the love hate relationship, right? A little bit during, like, like just a coach at. 
in the uh, in college. It's there's to be a, a little bit of love hate, but then a coach in college at a service academy is uh, even a little bit different. So I mean, um, I, I appreciate all the opportunities that the that you gave to Texas athletes. I mean, I mean, let's do a little kind of a infomercial for the academies, kind of a, a, a little bit. I mean. Yeah. I mean, the, like, the, like the athletes that go there, just tell us a, a little bit about the opportunities that they get if they want to go and play a water polo either at Air Force or Navy and such like that. So, Right. Well, before we get into that, I will proudly say that every single one of those guys who, who we mentioned graduated and you know, is, is serving or did their, their five years or more in, in, uh, in the military. And that's one of the best things that I, I can take from the whole experience was the graduation rate of the water polo players was extremely high, you know, so I just, I just kind of made sure that I didn't go too far in my craziness that, you know, guys were quitting and leaving and trying to get away. Um, the graduation rate was something that the school is very proud of generally. And as, as a water polo coach, I wanted to be a part of that. And I've and I and I and I've talked to, to quite a few of these guys, and they all they all say the same thing. Mike's a hard coach. Um, I may not have liked it at the time, but I but I understand now, and I respect it, and I have a great relationship with them. So you were a huge positive kind of influence on a ton of kids, not just the Texas kids, but a ton of kids. So. Or you can say they were successful in spite of me, which may may apply to some of them too. <laughs> there you go. But one of my favorite things being on the pool deck kind of kind of with you as you were talking about you know the uh like you know the uh like whenever you granted me access to just kind of sit there and watch practice were the scoisms so my so my favorite scoism ever this was during a game and you were and your team was on offense the ball got turned over they and the other team countered and scored and you just put your hands up Kind of, kind of like, kind of, kind of, kind of how you do, and you said a good pass uh, to a bad player is still a bad pass. <laughs> Guilty. Oh, <laughs> uh, what was that? Guilty. Yes, yes. And uh, was it? Um, and I'm just, and I just still remember, it. and I still use that not to my kids. That's just something that we share amongst coaches now. <laughs> but like, you know, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's one of those things where that's yeah, that yeah, like kind of that's always stuck. So. Do you yeah. have any favorite scoisms that 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 you can bring back now? Well, a more a more polite way to put that situation that that you hear a lot of people use now is, yes, uh, you were open for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I just mean, but that but that particular one is like you're saying this, you're insulting the guy that made the pass, but then the guy that received the pass is just over there going, "Oh my god." <laughs> <laughs> you, you want me to come out too? <laughs> but the, yeah, but that's probably also the guy that didn't get back on defense too. So, so, so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, but I mean, so for kids that are looking at the Naval Academy or even the Air Force Academy, so just kind of, kind of tell us what that opportunity would, yeah, kind of would present to them. Sure, I think all of the service academies, regardless of sports, are. Louis likes to tell kids, you you got a chance to get the golden ticket. Um, Air Force, West Point, Navy, the Coast Guard Academy. We have a close friend whose son just graduated from there and was the captain of the basketball team. 
uh, Merchant Marine Academy, those places, uh, regardless of which specific school, you are, you're set for life. I mean, you, you get an education, you get challenged, you're going to get up early, you're going to work late, you know, so you're going to be a perfect employee wherever you end up because you've been asked to do a little more than, than most. Um, you know, not to mention, uh, you get a paycheck, you get tuition, you get rooms, you get meals, and you, you get hired for at least five years after you graduate, and most of them stick around a lot longer than that. So, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a full scholarship with probably more than a full load of work that you're asked to, to uh, contribute in return. But, uh, you know, I, I could go for hours talking about what some of our graduates are doing now continue to do uh, in every aspect of, of life that you could imagine. Um, just an incredible opportunity, and I would yeah, recommend I mean, it. And we talked before we got on about Spencer Shelley, who's a North Texas kid that is, um, that is he's, in, he's a freshman. He's up there now. He's, probably, he's been there for, like, what, about a week or so? And, yep. uh, and I hope he's the, like, kind of, kind of one of the next great Texas kids that, are, that is going to be going yeah, – that's going to go through the program. So. Yeah, the, the freshmen, or plebes as they are called, all checked in last week. And they're going through a plebe summer like no other because it's in the middle of the virus, uh, the COVID thing. There's all sorts of precautions being taken, all sorts of limitations on what they can and can't do. Um, so it'll be it'll be a learning experience with lots of lessons learned when it, when they come out, when they come out of it. Yeah, it's going to be very unique to them, and they're going to have their own stories that is going to be a little bit different than all the, than all the other graduates. So yeah, there, there's there's about 175 years of how to run plebe summer playbooks that kind of got thrown out for this summer because most of what they used to be able to do they can't, and so. Every, everybody's kind of flying blind as to how to go through this next am, six weeks with the police. I am, I am sure the Navy has found a way and they, and they will get the job <laughs> done somehow. Right? I hope so. But uh, was it, um, so, Oh, uh, what about, I mean, obviously you weren't just at the Naval Academy. You've been involved at all levels, the USA water pole, the CBPA, the NCAA. Tell us your overall thoughts about the current state of water pole. Well, in, in our country. So. I think, uh, lots to feel good about, lots to look forward to, a lot of accomplishments that uh, hopefully will, will continue to be made. Um, I think, though, generally, there, there needs to be a more formal, uh, if for, for lack of a better word or lack of a better phrase, it would, be, it would be great for water polo in this country if there were a more uh, formal affirmative action program. And I don't mean to equate the opportunities in water polo to what's going on in the big picture racially and culturally here. Totally, totally different. But the, the ability to work your way up the pipeline as a national team candidate or potential player is so skewed if you live in Southern California and a little bit less skewed if you in Northern California, but there's 49 other states where it's going to cost you and your family tens, twenties of thousands of dollars just to keep yourself in the pipeline uh, competitively. So I, I think 
finding opportunities to save a spot or two on an international trip for a youth team, a cadet team, a junior team. Not that we're going to give spots away, but you've got to identify people out of state who show the kind of potential and have the kind of program uh, that they can be, be part of to work their way into the national team. Uh, you know, Ashley Johnson is an outlier, of course, in terms of what she's done as an Olympian. But I still don't believe we've had a male athlete other than Chris Duplanti, who was from, from Hawaii and, and played at uh, Irvine. I don't think we've had a male athlete who went to college outside of California or Hawaii, in Chris's case, in 50 years, maybe 60 years. So obviously what we're doing hasn't produced any sort of a cross-section of athletes from outside of California. Again, again, some sort of a quota system with, you know, with the required work and, and investment on the part of those athletes and their coaches, it would go a long way towards, towards changing that. That was Joe's conversation with former Navy head coach Mike Schofield. Um, just a couple other things to wrap up on the show for the day. What uh, what do we want to cover? What's coming up with town halls and all the other stuff that's on? We the have uh, we have a club administration town hall on Tuesday, um, uh, which is tonight. So that's only in in a couple hours from when we're uh, recording this. Yeah. On this upcoming Thursday, we have Justin Puddles going to be going over motion offense. So that that's uh, that's for the coaches to coaches. Then we have a whole slew of stuff for the rest of July as well. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Thank you, Joe. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks, James. So thanks again to Mike Schofield. He took uh, a lot of time to talk to us. Thank you for listening, telling a friend about the TX Water Polo Podcast. And special thanks to our fabulous donors who keep us afloat. If you want to contribute, go to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give. Um, so thank you to them. Until next week, so long from Austin. of TWP Sports LLC.